1: Welcome to the Undermine Podcast. I'm Tom Marshall, your host of these proceedings. We are right in the middle of our season at episode 25, a season where we're exploring fish in the 90s. We're exploring. We're we're really loving going back, visiting some of these epic shows of the early 90s as we draw closer to our goal, the famous Fall '97 tour. And whether or not Fall '97 is the peak of fish, is of course debatable. And we're not really claiming that, but is Fall 97 a peak? A very significant peak? Definitely. And here we are at the Great Went, right on the precipice of Fall 97. And to help me navigate this precipice, the delightful and freshly groomed president of OSIRIS, my co-host, RJB.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Tom. Wow, that was quite an intro. Um, All right, so today we're covering our second and last festival of this season, of course the great went um this was the chapter that closed the summer of 1997 both of these shows 816 and 817 have so many highlights it'll be hard to fit everything into this episode but we're going to give it a shot it's uh it's a pretty monumental show um set of shows and and as we learned in the 62294 show we're not allowed to rank festival sets in in overall fish so we're going to have to just you know leave these aside or rank them differently but I wanted to tell you, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please consider supporting our new Osiris Premium offering, which you can join for just a few bucks a month. You can get bonus episodes of Undermine and HF Pod, ad-free episodes. And a lot of people have asked, where are the archives of Under the Scales there within this premium offering, which, again, is just a few bucks a month. We're going to have discounts on Osiris merch, meet and greets, AMAs, all kinds of stuff. Osirispod.com slash premium. Or click on the link in the show notes. So, Tom, who is going to help us go through this uh, epic two day situation?
1: Okay. Our guest, RJ, I'm extremely proud to announce is the renowned artist, Jim Pollock. Jim is responsible for amazing show prints and posters and also drawings that appear on shirts and hats and all kinds of merch. And if you know Fish, you definitely know Jim's art. And it's on the cover of Junta, and it's really everywhere. It's safe to say that Jim Pollock is Fish's primary artist. Although Fish does a great job of utilizing a variety of artists for their famous show posters, Jim's are instantly recognizable and become quite valuable. And Jim likes the old printing press technology. Um, he had a press with him at the Great Went, and the posters he made that weekend are among the most sought after ever by collectors. But rather than have me yammer on about it, I'll bring Jim in from the waiting room to tell you more himself. Hello. He appeared. <laughs> Hi, Jim. How are you? Yeah. Thank you for joining us again. And you've been a good friend of the podcasts we've done. In addition to being Fish's most famous poster artist, um, you're also a huge fan of Fish's live shows. And I, I got to say, ever since I started seeing shows in the 80s, it was likely I'd see you there too, but, but even more so now at MSG, you're a fixture. You're you're often, you're like, whenever I'm there, you're as close as you can get to the the front on Mike's side. You're always on Mike's side and you're deeply enjoying the sound spilling from the stage. You like it up close, don't you?
2: I do uh, less smoking. Jenny is a bit uh, allergic to smoke and, uh, and uh, people are more focused and there's less talking and stuff. I don't know. Uh, but but, you know, you end up where you end up. You try, I, I try to get closer. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, mostly talking and stuff and being engaged in the music. It's fun. But, uh, you know, I, I've came back a little during Dick's this year. It was nice being in the middle of the floor, but everyone's very, I mean, there's not much talking at Dick's. People are very engaged.
1: I did notice that I was up in the stands of Dick's and it was razor sharp focus on the music.
2: It yeah, yeah, really yeah. was. It really yeah, was. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, much different than the 90s, I'd say. Yeah, just like. <laughs> <laughs> A <lot of> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, live music. Like, I'm uh, loving it.
0: Jim, um, I, I got to ask you first. Um, huh. There's, there's all kinds of details about your multicolor printing process and the linoleum, linoleum block and right. all the handmade things. And we actually talked to you about this in Season 1, Episode 7 of Undermine, about Junta. But first, can you just give the background to the listeners about how you found fish or how they found you? what right. Just the, the brief background there.
2: Brief background. Me, I showed up uh, at Goddard College the same year page showed up and uh we kind of hung out we hit it off pretty good we had a lot of common we liked a lot of the same music really frankly and like uh he had a great record collection and then uh the other guys came to spring fest which is like this live music thing that goddard college would put on. and uh they showed up and page was playing with a bunch of bands and like every, I mean, they were very fantastic. And we were just like, geez, you should play with them. And within a month, he was like playing pretty regularly with, uh, you know, Trey, John, Mike, and then uh, uh, the other guitar player. I'm, I'm in his name right now. Um, yeah. Jeff. Jeff, absolutely. Mike, yeah. uh, they were playing, yeah, within the month. He was playing regularly with them and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, i carry some equipment and stuff like that. My back came in handy, that type of thing.
1: <laughs> well, um, so we're going to, so that's, you know, obviously that's 83, 84, 85. Right, right. So we're fast forwarding a good 10 years to right. the Great West. So
2: uh, like I left Vermont, I was in Chicago And like, I'd see them when they toured around the country and they hit Chicago and try to see their shows when they were there. Uh, They invited me to the Clifford Ball and I went up and sold some art and stuff like that. Uh, I had had some offset stuff made and uh, starting to get into the printmaking process. And then uh, by the next time, which is the great went, they invited me. I had acquired a bookbinding press and started doing the linoleum stuff and uh that's when I kind of introduced all of that format to people. And up until then I had done a lot of uh merchandise mostly uh t-shirts I'd say uh in quantity but like there had been like art for different types of small you know gigs and stuff like that but nothing major. I had done uh, Rosemont Horizon and a handful of prints, but it kind of started off my linoleum print stuff at uh, Great Web, definitely.
1: Well, uh, yeah, and, and I do remember, actually, I have one of your clown prints from the Clifford Ball. You signed it for me. Oh, really. Right and- right. I'm very proud of that. That that's like my earliest fish uh, merch, I think, ever that I that I own, right. Um And I was smart and framed it, it's so so it stayed intact. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the Clifford Ball had proven to the world that fish can put on an amazing experience, and a large part of that experience was the art and the artists and performers and the creativity that pervaded the atmosphere. Huh. And you you brought prints that you had already made to that fest, yeah, um, and and then. How did your setup differ at Clifford Ball from what you did at the Went? Because at the Went, you had a press.
2: Right. I had a press. The Clifford Ball was more like I had some pre made stuff that I got at an offset shop. I was working in the Kinko's copies, and that's almost what I blame for my printing. (laughs) It was like uh, running Xerox machines and going to art school in the daytime and kind of putting two to two together, but then like went really. Old school, like printmaking, um, but yeah, I don't know where that was going. But like, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> it was like we were in this like little village. They always created, I guess. Clifford Ball was like the first attempt at it, and like I felt like Great Went really had a amazing infrastructure, and like uh, you know, did they just built on all the things that they had learned from previous the previous festivals? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that was like part of it. And like during the day people wandering around buying stuff and even buying stuff while the show's going and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it was just kind of, I don't know, like a little, little city. What was it? The second largest city in Maine. Yeah. Briefly.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Trey,
0: Trey said during the, during the show at some point, yeah, second biggest city after Portland, but way cooler than Portland. (laughs) <laughs> That's true, <laughs> um, Jim. The the great went robot and the walking fish are are some of your most like famous works, and these are really rare. and, and a lot of fans have them, and some really want them. But how yeah. did how did you end up with these, and how did they become collectors' items? Like what what was that like? You it know, was, creating uh, them. Nature. It
2: was a okay. rainy weekend. I was printing on at that time. I was printing on water based stinks. Which is not a good idea. <laughs> and like, basically, not too many of the prints made it out. And uh, so, because of that, like, they're very coveted. Also, they're first. And then, like, yeah, they've become. And like, all of this happened when, I don't know, like, eBay comes along, creates secondary markets. Um, it's a, a weird, like, trade winds of like uh, very good luck for an artist like me.
1: Definitely. Um, So, uh, you know, just to bring people who aren't into the poster scene up to speed, the limited edition posters, of course, are, are, are pretty valuable. And all your posters are like, you know, you sign them and you number them. So they're all like, there a number out of say 500 or something but right. but but back then at the at the went you didn't know how many you were going to print so how many what was the total number of prints created for the robot I and think, the fish
2: uh, it was 125 i was supposed or uh, yeah i i was given i like i always talk through stuff and like run the numbers is it okay if i did this And like I made a hundred, I think I made like a hundred or 125 of the great went robots of which, yeah, somebody early on in the message boards, I forget his name, Terry Weedock, I think. And like he, uh, he had like, somebody had made the list of like a database of like all of the great wents.
1: Did he corner the market?
2: A handful of them. Like, you know, it's like 11 and like 32 and like, you know, and it's like all under a hundred. And then I sold like, yeah, I was like, I'll go home and like, I'll keep people's emails. And then like, I'll be able and like, I I moved like, I don't know, like 20 of them, like online. Like back in the old days when they sent me money orders to my post office box and, like, sent them prints. Like, that's really really old school. It's, like, well, it's a little just before the Internet's, like, got all its bells and whistles.
1: For, for the truly um, nerdy uh, fish poster collectors, you had said that this was not your first poster. You said you'd – well, I mean, I've seen you do some, like, um, scribbled uh, fish poster bills just, like right. – with- Pen and ink. Up in
2: uh, like Burlington. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I had moved to Chicago, but was still sending Dionysian like art because they were always like, oh, yeah, just send us stuff you're working on. But
1: you mentioned the Rosemont Horizon as your actual first. Was that before the WENT?
2: um, Yeah, that's 95. And like Uh, that's not a linoleum. That's a uh, a silk screen. Oh. uh, I was kind of learning I don't know some of the ins and outs of uh photoshop and quark express I think I like laid it out on and uh basically yeah it was actually for the Chicago reader and uh they still hadn't sold it out and so they actually took out an ad on the back of the Chicago reader which was my print and then they were like oh that looks really cool let's make a poster of it." and then that was easily done cuz like i said i started to have connections with like a lot of printers working for kinkos and stuff led well, uh, yeah. me into that world
1: yeah well fast forwarding i mean you, you don't only work for fish you do you do posters for all kinds of all kinds of people and people can go to um, PollockPrints.com and check out other stuff jim's done but jim would you say that every single festival for fish you did a, a poster, a special uh, special poster? No? No,
2: I uh I did uh no, I did uh, one for Magnaball or for the official poster, I think only Magnaball, Um for Super Bowl, I did some water wheel cutout car things. Oh right. Oh, and then I Indio. I did an official for Indio.
1: And then there was a massive one for Coventry.
2: And there was a massive one for Coventry. <laughs> the, the last fish show.
1: Right? The last fish show.
2: Right. Yeah, eleven thousand. <laughs> I didn't. I only signed them. That's they got somebody at uh, you know, or like um, uh, dry goods to number, the number of those.
1: Right, <laughs> but still, you signed eleven thousand posters.
2: I did, but I mean, like, I mean,
0: <laughs> wouldn't <you>? well, exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't. Exactly. I'm an
2: artist. I guess like it feeds a part of me. Sure, <laughs>
0: Well, I just want to ask you, Jim, how, how much is your process changed? It sounds like your process has changed a lot, but do you, do you have like a really uh, set in stone approach to how you do art and posters when, when people come to you now, or is it still like case by case, like in terms of yeah, creation is, and production and all that?
2: It is different. Cause like uh, sometimes like I want to do like a linoleum, but like there might not be enough time. And so like, I, you know, there's, uh, definitely like time constraints and stuff like that, that are related to the process that I'm using. So like a silk screen might take shorter and like, be able to like, uh, do something. I almost have to anticipate like, uh, when am I going to do like a linoleum because it's going to take like a fair amount of time. So, uh, it has changed, but like, yeah, at first I was just doing linoleum, but now I've, kind of like given myself the ability to work in other mediums and stuff like that, like that.
1: Before we go off to break, I want to give the YouTube people on video a chance to see <laughs> number 92. There it is. Of 100.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, Not too shabby shape for really. it.
1: <laughs> perfect, perfect condition shape of the walking fish. It's one, probably one of That's my proudest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh fish is, posters that i've been able to obtain
2: yeah it was pretty rainy but then it started to clear up and then like things (laughs) were drying but the first day it was kind of touch and go with the drying
1: (laughs) that's amazing that's amazing well it's time to talk about the music and we're going to do that right after we return from this quick break
0: Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, Instagram, And all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's DistroKid, capital K, dot .com, slash VIP, slash undermine. Thanks, DistroKid.
3: This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died. Feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.
0: So okay, let's talk about the music, Jim, and thank you for enlightening us on this, the art process. Um, so there, we had six sets over two days, and I mean, there, there's so much to talk about here. It's hard to to get it all into one conversation. But the first day, I, I felt like, well, both the whole weekend was just such a celebratory vibe, and you know, this this was really representative of where Fish was going in the fall of 1997. You hear in the in some of these early songs of of the first day the wolfmans and a couple others you hear this kind of like evolution on the 95 96 sound but it's not quite where it gets in fall 97 but it's a little dark it's a little funky dangerous but still like you know um celebratory in a way and i'm, I'm wondering i know you guys were both there um just curious like what what the vibe was like there i know it was hugely you know populated area but was it a celebratory weekend? And do you, do you guys have any any memories of the first day in terms of the music?
2: Um, yeah, well, the first day, yeah, it was like... I'm, I'm looking at my notes. But, like, uh, uh, I, I was noticing that I had not... It was, like, a first for a lot of songs for me. The ones that were debuted in uh, Europe like, as I said, like, I only hit Chicago shows. So like, I don't know, there were some, no, ghosts. a lot of stuff that was the first time was in the second night, but like the first night, I don't know. Uh, yeah, just, uh, oh no, character zero. That was my first character zero. And, uh, and then loving cup. I'm like a huge fan of like exile and main street. Paige and I used to play that album a lot. And then like, uh, I think I had only heard it once, but it was like, you know, I was like kind of like knocked out of my whole art <laughs> selling and like, oh, I need to hear this. Get like get my head out of the little hut and like listen to the stuff. And uh that was basically, yeah, it was <clears throat> I was hearing stuff, but then like sometimes I just had to okay, I I just have to get out of here and like listen to something you know because yeah we were in the thick of this little town and stuff like that and there was uh you know it was it was easy to get distracted but yeah definitely yeah hearing new songs and then like you know oh wait a second you know can you be quiet because like (laughs) i'm a fan (laughs) too yeah yeah and like people you know totally got it and like other people are hearing those songs for the first time as well there was a lot of debuts for me yeah yeah. and ghost ghost was a debut or is that yeah
0: that's yeah that's the first name that yeah that that summer yeah i mean that summer and that that was a great version i mean really again like very funky but just like really a, a taste of what ghost would would become um right there's so much so much good stuff there um Um, what was your experience at the Great One? We haven't asked you that yet. So, like, where where were you and what, what are your memories of this uh two-day party?
1: This is kind of like back when um in the 90s were a whole different experience than they are now for, for the band and for me and for backstage access and all that stuff. If I wanted to go on tour with the band, Trey just had to ask the band, Hey, do you mind if Tom? comes on the bus and it could be like three to five nights and I would just go from concert to concert. So the way that, uh, and now that would never happen. Like, well, first Dude, of all, hardly, right? yeah, <laughs> well, first of all, they, there's kind of no backstage now, but secondly, they, they all have individual buses and like the whole thing is it's a whole different scene, but, um, this was this was incredible. Um, I drove up with some friends and immediately found Trey. I think this is the day before actually the show, uh, the first show. And uh, Trey took me and my friend Tebow and my friend Scott around on a golf cart. And it was sort of late. He was very excited. He was pumped. He was showing us the, the grounds and driving us all around, at, like looking at the art installations. We probably saw Jim setting up for the first day. <laughs> And, and we cruised by and then Trey veered into the camping and it, it's very much unlike him. And certainly unlike him today, um, he he stopped the cart and ran to a random person's tent, unzipped it and put his head in and said, the show's canceled. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> and always, then,
3: the
1: yeah, yeah, always the kidder. And then ran back out and got behind the, the, uh, the golf cart. Um, steering wheel but wanted to see what the result of, of of that yelling was and those people had been asleep and they were like stumbling out and were, I, I heard the girl say was that Trey? <laughs> Imagine, somewhere out there you are those people that yeah exactly I want to find those people though like I I eventually found the person who caught my glasses I threw out from uh, when I was the did the proclaimers you oh, know right. <laughs> ten, 10 years later, I found that guy. So we should be able to find the person who Trey put his head in at the great Went into their tent and woke up and said, the show is canceled. But uh, no, uh, the music was amazing. The parties were amazing. I had an incredible, incredible time. And and yes, positivity and uh, festival atmosphere was in the air 100%. And the music was beyond, was just incredible. Unbelievable. I mean, we, we haven't even mentioned that the went gin
2: yet, right? Right? Well, that's yeah. like, that's nice that's too. the next yeah, day, it's well, a, well, a whole, whole so different daytime yeah. Sets are always so fun with uh the festivals, it almost reminds me of when I first saw them, which was outdoor. And like back in Vermont, you'd see a lot of like daytime sets, people playing outside, and you don't see it as much like as they got more popular, it was always in nighttime, and so. I always like that. The sun beat me down. Uh,
1: and, yep. and I was like, "This is." It was probably too early for me to make this rule, but if I saw punch you in the eye outdoors, I was a happy person. That meant to right. us, and it still does for me. It means that the show is going to be great. Um, and so, this is set one of 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 the great went punch you in the eye, and I was. I, I remember I was the happiest guy, and then right after that, like you said, ghost uh, wasn't. What, I don't know if that was the actual debut, but it was uh it it was still yeah. relatively new and a great song. And, yeah, and it came right new. after that. Yep, yep. Pretty so. amazing.
0: And and the cities, the the set three, I mean, it's like this, you know, six songs. It's Haley's, Cities, Llama, Lawn Boy, Limb by Limb, Funky Bitch, and a really like really kind of jammed out limb by limb before the ending funky bitch where there are fireworks after. And that to me is like, you know, the the five or six songs second set is or not third set in this in this case yeah (laughs) pretty amazing um i think my highlight of the whole show is probably the cities like it's so so slow and on the audience version you can hear people saying like i think they're going to play something fast after this because it just feels like it's like that's how that whole summer was just sort of like it was slow you know but in a in a really it carried everyone along you know
1: It was llama, so you got your wish,
2: right? The llama, <laughs> they yeah. slowed it down. They really
0: yeah. slowed it down for me. <laughs> The slow llama, exactly. <laughs> um What Jim? The second night, I mean, I, I think the second night is you know one of the it's one of the most legendary shows uh, ever, mostly because of this um second set of Down with the Bath bathtub gin. But it, that whole thing, set one has this amazing maze, which is really really uh intense and it has a tweezer that's great but this down with disease bathtub gin it almost feels like it's celebratory but almost like emotionally wistful like it almost feels to me like they're like a little bit looking back on this year and like not wanting this this amazing tour to end but maybe (laughs) i'm reading too much into it but i feel like that bathtub gin you know i don't know
2: i don't know how it is to be a musician but yeah it's like if you slow it down can you distill it more kind of thing yeah, because you don't want to rush through, rush through anything.
3: Yeah,
0: it's so it's so powerful. Do you remember <laughs> yeah, that in person in Europe and like
2: they just seem to be just like nonstop on the road and then like uh, yeah, I mean the thus spoke this Zaratru also spoke in the, in the two thousand one what <laughs> two thousand one <laughs> we'll call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but like uh, that like and then also with like the and like i hadn't seen that too many times i might have seen it once but not played as like large as it and i remember pausing and like yeah i have to stop selling art and listen to this. was like with the, uh, the banger, uh, like uh, Philharmonic. Oh yeah. And like, there was a lot of classical music stuff. And I feel like that was almost like a nod to that stuff that had already been played and Debussy and like, I don't know. It's just, uh, I've always considered Trey as like just another, you know, composer in that same regard. Uh, Just, you know, using the rock milieu, but like, it's, it's more or less a lot of the same, I don't know, uh, tricks of the trade of a composer, basically.
1: That's, that's, that's awesome you say that. I I mean, there were a couple little musical highlights, like, you you know, the first night, uh, if you stayed up late enough, they, they kind of DJed a disco set. Yeah. Um, I and didn't then, see
2: that. Yeah. I saw the what is it, the uh, flatbed thing.
1: Oh, at uh, at at Clifford Ball. Oh, that's Clifford Ball. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. No, I didn't yeah. see the disco. I was wiped out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I
1: mean, invited. you were working, so you were working and playing. Yeah, we yeah. were just playing, so we we stayed up for the disco thing, and that was interesting. And the, uh, as you know, every festival they've tried to do something kind of a little bit outside the lines, which is really yeah. cool. But like you said, the, the Bangor, Main um, Philharmonic Orchestra playing at least, you know, several classical numbers, but it was accompanied by a glider that was like spewing smoke as he was doing right. incredible uh, stunts above the audience.
2: Yeah, yeah, just amazing. I mean, it, I, I don't amazing. know, I mean, like, I, I just, and then like, you know, how often do you see Philharmonic Orchestra playing in the middle of, I mean, you can go to places, but it's cool to hear them outside. And it's funny
1: you it, say yeah. that Trey. That Trey is uh, in your mind, uh, like, you know, I, if he yeah. if he was five hundred years earlier, he'd be like pals with like Bach <laughs> or something.
2: <laughs> He's our own Paganini, <laughs> <You know, laughs> right the guitar for
0: the, the totally. Vibe. So but, that was between the first and second sets. The the orchestra.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. And then yeah, it was like, during the day.
2: Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Give you know more stuff cuz like the the break in between the the nighttime and the daytime and stuff like that. Yeah, it was really I mean, I don't know. It was like really cool to see that. Uh you know, I'd be up and, for that again. Yeah, I I definitely. I was late raised in a kind of classical music kind of family. So, uh yeah, I love that stuff.
1: Yeah. When you get uh when you get top piano um it's, you don't really have a choice. You learn classical. But I think when you get taught guitar and drums, you learn on rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. pretty interesting these days that that's what, the, that's what it is, but still piano. It's like you learn, you learn, you know, Chopin, Chopin Beethoven. Right, yeah. And Bach, you learn to read music.
2: Sometimes. And you learn to read music.
1: Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting how that is. And, and yet Trey did. He had that uh, very, very developed classical sense right. and he still does
2: yeah 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 i uh yeah it's just amazing i mean to see the development of it and like i don't know at the other end like we get like very large uh you know we started off with fugues which are generally short but then he's broadened it to like i don't know like i think of a petrichor is almost like i think of it as a ballet i don't know but like uh interesting. lot of movements but like a lot of uh uh rhythm changes meter changes and stuff like that yeah yeah when when i saw him at bangor maine i was like kind of in the back of the uh of the uh crowd and stuff like that and there were a bunch of couples all kind of like dancing to petrichor there and like they had like it was almost like they they had danced to it before and like yeah, I always think of pasch. It's almost like a ballet. It's like a, it's a very danceable, danceable thing.
1: Did you see when Petrichor was turned into the, uh, the New Year's? Uh, oh
2: yeah, 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 I did.
1: And, and there was some dancing uh, right. in that, of yeah, course. Yeah, it worked
2: well with like yeah, with uh, David Gallo. And yeah, his his troupe, absolutely.
1: That's right. That's right. So I was going to ask you uh, again about the music and how pianists kind of start with. With classical, uh, your pal Page, when you met him at school at Goddard, um, was he sort of classically trained or was he already sort of uh, coloring no, into the jazz he, world?
2: He was trying to learn to read music more. I think he I, um, I think he did. I think he like was there to basically kind of uh, he knew by ear. He knew but like he couldn't sight read. I think he was, like, basically, he was on a mission. I mean, like, he, um, unlike some Goddard students, but, like, you know, he he really, I mean, he was in the hay barn pounding out the piano. You'd hear him all the time. And just, like, and, like, uh, he was really good. I mean, he had great technique and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, he uh, taught himself, like, you know, the rudimentary things that he needed to do to become like a musician and like, uh, yeah, good on him. I I don't know. I mean, like, I just think it was more spotty that he was more of a jazz reading charts and chords and like, uh, and being able to hear and play melodies and stuff like that. But like when you get into the more sophisticated, like, I don't know, harmonies and stuff like that, it's nice to, See it all written out and know how to like know all the where the notes are and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Lots of uh, ink has been spent on, uh, and of course, as fish students ourselves, we know all about Trey's senior thesis at Goddard um, being the Gamehenge uh, tr- uh, saga, so to speak, uh, the rock opera. Did Paige have a um, senior project as
2: well? I forget. I think uh, I had left by then, oh. I had gone to Chicago. And like I had heard and, uh, yeah, I think he was like, it was mostly like recordings and he was doing some film stuff. So it was like mostly like, like type of performance projects. Uh, he, I really think he was like thinking about like making music for films. Ah. Uh, he was like, we had some uh film equipment at school and we were doing like film and video and stuff and uh yeah it's kind of cool um it's appropriate cuz like, fish I, I forget exactly what it was fish but, like, with I think he like became really good at sight reading and like you know just you know uh, teaching himself and then they had lois harris who is the uh oh, yeah the music teacher there and she worked with all of those guys, or with Trey and Paige and uh John. They were all they were all under and she was teaching them stuff, you know, theory and that stuff. Uh they were, yeah, they came in from a jazz thing. They could read charts, fake books and that kind of thing.
1: Yep. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah, I never thought to ask Paige ever what his uh Goddard. Uh, graduation project was but, yeah. but but maybe being part of uh game might have might have sufficed because he was you know he did all the right. he did all the keyboards for that um that's that's really interesting um rj my favorite um possibly favorite moment was the world uh cluing in on buffalo bill uh, <laughs> set three opener buffalo bill i remember my friends like slapping me on the back like oh my god they played it again i think it had played once or something and no one thought they'd ever see it again
0: yeah amazing that was so that was the first time it had been played since new year's 94 so in uh, 204 shows and it's it's a, it's a it's a little bit you know it's a little bit jammed out um there it's it's a great version, and uh, that third set. I mean, the whole every set of this, and I, I don't think if people listening or watching think that we haven't talked enough about a particular jam and the great one. You're right, because it's just it's just impossible. Um, <laughs> the, this, the third set's great too. The Buffalo Bill. There's a great um, Son of a Mule, like one of my least favorite fish songs. There's a really good version. Um, great Caspian to close. It's just right. I mean, our
2: first Caspian. Look at that. It,
0: so you were yeah, so you were getting a lot of those a lot of those songs that had been debuted over the you know year or two before.
2: Right. For the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah, yeah. And like That's it's awesome. always different when you,
0: you know,
2: hear it for the yeah, first time or I don't know. Yeah, like in that case, like I don't think there was a recorded version before. Yeah, yeah.
0: No, definitely not. I do want to say just you know, the the bathtub gin has its own, the went gin has its own Facebook group or multiple. Right. Um, so we have to just, you know, Wait, mention that that's, that's the, now. you <laughs> know, it, there, I think there's a Facebook group called the went gin changed my life, which is, right. you know, is that uh, the totally 2.0 jam. Or... I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. Right. It, type two. Yeah. It goes. I mean, it's so, it's so celebratory. It's so powerful. It's so like, I mean it's it's positive but it's also just very driving yeah. it's so moving I mean I can't get enough of it every time I listen to it I'm like I cannot believe that this that this happened
2: That song is like, I mean, yeah. I always wanted, you know. Early on, I was like, God, did you really write this? Because, like, I could swear I heard that before. Like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like it's almost like a Austin Powers nineteen sixties kind of, or a
1: Broadway song. theme or something. Some. It's just yeah. like, wow. It's because it's <laughs> like
2: an ear. Yeah, it's an ear. Oh, it's like, like, wow. How did you? Think that up because it seems to be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, like so it, amazing. They extended it so much, and like, yeah, it just gets better and better with like yeah. expansion of it, and the re- every time they approach it in a I don't know a newer a newer way. Yeah. Yep. It's
0: it's really amazing. Um, Tom, I guess before we wrap up, this is the last show that we're going to talk about before we get into Fall '97, which is the tour that, that changed everything. As we've been saying, um, what do you guys both think about like this ending, this, I I said, mentioned at the beginning, I feel like they were not wanting to get off the road. Maybe they're, they're always feeling that like this, this, this festival just feels so celebratory. Like it doesn't feel like they have any, you know, there's no, like we're, we're a little tired or anything. It's just full energy for two days and this, you know, they have a little bit of a break before they, before they come back for this this fall tour. But I don't know, what, how do you guys feel like they ended up at, after, this, after this two-day festival? Like, do you guys remember how it felt after the festival? Was everyone just left, like, wanting more? I mean, I'm just curious how that, how that felt because I wasn't there.
1: <laughs>
2: I, 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 I,
1: I, 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 I do remember.
2: They I, were done, like, the fish production staff. It was funny, like, yeah. doing that stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: No no I, yeah. I I remember some festivals and I you know I don't have to name names necessarily I'm sure people know what I mean when when the band got off they were like they were done like dead yeah. um but this one was like this was still 97 and everything everyone was smiling and everyone was full of energy and ready for the next thing and and yeah I mean this was a huge effort and everyone was tired yeah. uh but it was like tired with an amazing smile and knowing, you know, walking off knowing that you had crushed it, right? Completely oh, yeah. crushed
2: yeah. it. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it takes so much effort.
3: So yeah. much I, I, out of everything.
2: Especially hanging out with yeah, people that were putting the whole thing on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were like <laughs>
1: they're on four days of no sleep, five maybe. Four days
2: of no sleep. Yeah. I drove the truck back to uh, Burlington from uh yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: like, we're I, lucky to have you yeah, still I, here. Yeah. <laughs> you
2: know, who's it still awake, I'm like, yeah,
0: yeah. I got this Wow.
2: Route two. I'm like, that's quite the road.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's way the hell up there. Jim did this. I assume that putting on a festival is an insane experience. Like you said, everyone was dead and everyone was exhausted. Did it? Did it get? Does it get easier as people go along, or is it always just like a f- full on? <clears throat> Oh, I think you know effort.
2: So much easier. I mean, like, I mean, it's just best practices. They get better at doing it, and they have better people who have done it before. I mean, that was like the second or third one. It was like, um, it's early on. They're like still getting the number of porta potties right and that type <laughs> of thing. We're like, you know, it's. I don't know. That's difficult. Like any, uh, anyone trying to put on stuff like that, it's, uh, more power to them because like, like, uh, but yeah, I think, I think in the early ones, yeah. People just taking on as much as they can to have the thing happen and, you know, and have it happen. But yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten much, much easier or like, I don't know. Uh, not that easy, but like, I don't know, just they've done it before so many times that they know how to do everything. And back then it was like, it was kind of new and like you yeah. know, little crossed fingers, which insurance companies hate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can can we expect Jim to have you at the next Fish Festival with a printing press?
2: Oh, I, I could do that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to ask my shoulder, my
1: arm. RJ and I request it specifically from you. We would consider it a favor if you do that.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I was told they still had that hut somewhere. I'm sure it's long gone.
1: Oh, that's a real like, hut
2: that they put me in, they like disassembled it. And they were like, okay, for the next one, we have the hut, the Pollock hut, where you're, wow. where you're printing. That's- I believe that oh, there was a warehouse. Here. Oh, is there? There, there was a warehouse know, that had maybe. some stuff, yeah. They threw away the uh sign, so I doubt Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've throw, yeah, they've they've done some clearing of stuff. I think you know, so. We're always like, Yeah, we got your hut for you, you know, next time we have a festival. But I kind of miss some. I missed it, uh, Lemon Wheel, uh Oswego, uh so Big Cypress. And then I, start, I went to uh, Super Bowl and then went to Magna Bowl. I think Super Bowl, I only went a couple days.
1: I love all the festivals and uh, look forward to seeing the great Jim Pollock at the next one. And he's going to have his printing press with him. He just promised us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. RJ, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Jim yeah. Pollock. Reminder yeah, to go to Pollock. Uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It was nice.
0: It was really fun. Go
1: to PollockPrince.com. That's P-O-L-L-O-C-K-Prince.com to see more of Jim's stunning signature art. Thank you to all listeners and thanks to the Osiris team. And I want to give a quick shout out to Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Check them out at CashOrTrade.org. Remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch. Goodbye. And always please continue